100% true wherever you are on Mother's Day. We just know this church loves and cares for you. And uh, so today is a special day. You know, I think through, um, that was the intro to my sermon that I originally had written out as an article that I found. And Jordan came to me this morning and was like, hey, I'd like to turn that into a video. And um, so this morning, wherever you are, you know, I just want to say we do love and care for you. Um, And I was, you know, thinking through that video just now is, um, so you guys are our church family. So Alex and I are expecting a new baby in November. So we're excited about that. And um, and, yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think about where everyone could be today. You know, I'm, my wife and I are excited. We are joyful to have another baby. But I think of the Mosley family who uh, was just baptized a couple weeks ago. His mom died yesterday. So we grieve with them. I think, I think of my friend they're in their third trimester with their baby boy and they found out bad news. So mother, Mother's Day can be hard, but also it can be great. And so I come this morning, I just want to encourage all of us, we're talking about Mother's Day to celebrate your moms and there, a lot of us are walking on all these different paths and it's complex and it's hard, but yet it's joyful and it's great and it's wonderful. And this morning, just I want to celebrate this idea of like this, this concept of what it looks like to minister as the body. And, um, and this morning I want to see, because I've been on this kick for rediscovering, really answering this question, why is the body of Christ essential? We sang about, about building our life on this foundation, and, it's, and it talks about then to those around us. So why is it important what we do here? Why does it matter to have this rich theology when it comes to church and the way we do church? And why does this matter? It's because it's a simple fact that you and I are, if you are a believer in Christ, every Christian is saved to minister according to his or her gifts. And when I read that article, I'm sure there's everyone in that category. And if we raise up this thinking that it's up to a single pastor to minister to the body, there's literally no way one person can do that. But what I want us to see is that if we're a body that is trying to, that seeks to understand its individual gifting, we sacrifice and committed ourselves to one another, then aim to know the gospel, the word of God, we can build this picture of a healthy foundation for Christian ministry. And I gave this illustration to our students a couple months ago, and it's been super impactful. Because I gave this illustration, I told them, I'm not going to make you guys do it, but I gave them each a minute. Three times. I said, in one minute, I want you to write down five sermons that changed your life. And then I followed it up as I want to, I'm going to give you one minute to write down five experiences that changed your life. And then I gave them one minute to write down five people who you, God used to bring them closer to him. And of course, you can understand and probably yourself, the first one, the sermons came hard. Maybe you remembered one. And then the experiences, they were a little easier. Most of them thought about youth camp or mission trip or some pivotal moment. But I'm telling you, every single one of them could list out people. And the reason why I bring that up today is because we come here this morning, the purpose of church is to come here to be filled up because our job is to pour out what we have learned here. 
And this is coming from someone who's preaching, so I hope you remember this. But at the end of the day, it's a week-to-week thing. That you come here, you're filled up with God's word, then you turn around and you leave here and you minister to those in your context. Because if we raise up to thinking that one single pastor can minister to everybody in this room, we're not a healthy church. But we can minister to one another. You know why? Because we're called to. Jobs as pastors and leaders are to equip you to do the work of ministry. And here's where I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, you're going to see Paul is writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And he's writing to him to, to encourage. But what we know here, while you turn here, what we know is Paul is in his 60s, so he's towards the end of his life. He's arrested in Rome and waiting trial that eventually is going to put him to death. And Paul definitely had many, many reasons where he could have been discouraged or down. And he mentions later in 2 Timothy all the people who have turned away from him and that have gone astray, that are teaching false things to many of the churches and the people Paul ministered to. And if there was ever a prime candidate for discouragement, Paul was that person. But who could have blamed him? He could have just said, I've had enough. I've given this thing my fair share. I put in my time. I'm going to retire. I'm going to sit back. And we could expect him to be a bitter, negative, discouraged old man and his hopes and dreams shattered by setback after setback after setback. And yet, this letter is the complete opposite. Paul's encouraging. He's cheering on. He is supporting Timothy and Timothy's calling to continue his work that the Lord called on him to do in his own purpose and grace. And it's this very personal letter, Paul's last, written to his beloved son in the faith, who was timid by nature and probably felt inadequate for the task facing him. And the problems were overwhelming, and it looked as Paul was about to be put to death, and the mantle would fall onto Timothy's shoulders. And so all I want us to do is I want us to read verses 1 through 7. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Verse 4. Remembering your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. So therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are grateful for your word. Allow us to build our lives onto the solid foundation of your word. And whatever context we're in, whatever stage of life we're in, wherever we're at, whatever job, whatever it may be, that we looked as our lives in service to you and to those around us. Rekindle the spirit in us so that way we want to see others come to know who you are. We love say this all in your name. Amen. And so in Paul's opening chapter here, 2 Timothy, 
He's going to use his greeting as an expression of thanks to God for Timothy. And we see this foundation for a faithful ministry. And when I say ministry, I'm not meaning just pastors who are vocational who work in a church. He's, again, I'm referring to this biblical truth that every Christian is a minister of the gospel, whether you're a teacher, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're oil-filled, retired, whatever may be, fill-in-the-blank profession, you need to know this. You are to serve, but also foundation for faithful ministry rests on knowing God's call on your life through the gospel. And so we build our life on the foundation of Christ Jesus who has opened our eyes to love those around us. So you are to minister in your context because faithful foundation for faithful ministry in your life, not just for pastors, rests on knowing God's call on your life in whatever it may be. So where he has you is where you are called to minister to. And what we're going to see here is that it all starts with this foundation of what the gospel gives. Because we're going to talk about the gospel for a second because that is the foundation. You know, in our, our worship set, that's where, that's where it kind of led to. Because the king of kings, we're praising God for who he is and what he's done for us. My defense on our behalf, what he did through the gospel, that we can have someone who's defending us. So that what? We can build our life on him. And so I want us to look back at verse 1 real quick, because what you're going to see, the gospel gives us three things in this passage. And the first one is this idea of the promise of life. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And Paul was facing death. Let's not forget this. But he was focused on the promise of life found in Jesus. Because Christianity isn't a matter of religious rituals or a set of rules. Rather, Christianity is a matter of experiencing new life in Jesus. So when we talk about baptism, you are buried with Christ and you're raised to walk in what? The newness of life. Because by nature, we all were spiritually dead. Dead people do not need to hear about rules to live by. They need what? Life. They need God to raise them. And this promise of life, this centers on the, about knowing him personally through the Son. And that's why in 1 John chapter 5, it says this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life, the promise, is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So Paul is saying this belief in Jesus is the promise of life. God is the promiser. The promise is as reliable and secure as God is faithful. If God promises new life in Christ Jesus, then we can count on it. Even when we're in a dungeon facing injustice, when former friends have left us and spread lies about us. But we're also going to see not only this promise of life in this first couple verses, we're going to see that it's through God's will, through sincere faith. And we're going to talk about this more in a second. But Timothy's father probably was not a believer. But God uses his godly grandmother and mother as links in the chain that led Timothy to salvation. And when we're going to talk about sincere, it's, it means unhypocritical. There is such a thing as hypocritical or false faith, but Paul was convinced that this faith 
was the real deal. It had to be Timothy's faith, not the faith of his grandmother or his mother. And God may use godly parents or grandparents to bring us into faith in Christ, but no one gets saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus. But then the third thing we get to see of what the gospel gives us is grace, mercy, and peace. Verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're wondering what these things are, God's grace is his undeserved favor to those who deserve his wrath. His mercy is his compassion to those who are separated because of their sin. His peace is the result of being reconciled to being restored to him because of his grace and mercy. And these blessings come to us freely from God the Father who sent his son Christ Jesus our Lord to die for our sins. And so that is the three things that really in this passage the gospel gives us as believers. And so if you believe in these things, if you say you have faith in Jesus, that you are a follower of Jesus, you have been gifted uniquely where you're at to serve in ministry. And that's not excluding vocational ministry. If that's where you're called, you need to go do it. But where you're at is where you need to be ministering. And so if you ask yourself, have I experienced new life in Christ according to God's promise? Do I personally know God's grace, mercy, and peace? And then if you can answer yes, you have a foundation for serving him no matter what trials it may bring into your life. God's call on your life through the gospel is the foundation for a life of faithful service. And here's where I want to move to the next part of this idea of foundation for faithful ministry. It's, and it's, it's a, oh, can't talk, an established faith. Let's look at verse three. I thank God for whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So Paul is writing this again to Timothy. And it just, this, this opening, verse 3 and 4, just oozes with Paul's deep feelings of his love for Timothy, who is his son. He constantly remembers him in his prayers. And we don't know why he's saying, I remember the tears, but probably it's because of this. The last time Paul saw Timothy, he wasn't arrested yet. And it, I mean, Paul's in his later 60s. Timothy's probably pretty young. He's probably like 20s to early 30s at this time. And just the reality of it, they are separated by geographically, but also like Paul was not a liked man anywhere he went because he spoke truth and often got arrested for it. And they knew he was in Rome at this time, and we, we know today that he's going to eventually be put to death. And so Timothy, knowing when they separate, this is probably going to be the last time he sees Paul. And so he remembers him in his prayers, Paul does, and he longed for the joy of seeing him once again, even realizing he might never see him in this life. But what we're going to see about this established faith, what that brings about, it brings us into close, life-changing relationships with other believers because we're talking about ministry. And if you have interacted with Jesus 
it should bring you into relations with other believers. Because the Christian life is not just you and God. It's you and God and God's people. It's when we gather together, this is corporate sense of what we do and why we worship. We're joining in together to remind one another the goodness of our God. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we have small groups. That's why we do what we do. It's because if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be in close relations with other believers. And so part of what I'm going to ask you to do this week is if you are a believer and you're not meeting with someone regularly, I pray for either an older man who can be, or a woman who can be a friend and example of godly maturity in your life. And then look for a younger man or woman for you to, to, to meet with to help grow in Christ because these relationships that we form through the gospel should cause us to thank God and remember those. And so I want you this week to be thinking, if I'm an older man, I've been established in my faith for a long time, or older woman, who can I invest in this week? Who can I minister to this week? And I realize it's Mother's Day. Mothers minister 24-7. And I realize, like, on Mother's Day, a lot of, like, a lot of husbands, a lot of dads will say, I'll take the kids and get away so you can just rest. Because being a mom is 24-7. And as a dad, I can't handle the, 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 the mental load of being a mom. Incapable. Can't do it. I don't think about all the doctor's appointments, the groceries. Look, I can't even list out all the things my wife does because I don't, like, I just, it's all there. You guys are, if you're a mom, you, you handle a, a heavy thing. So you need someone who, or, who is building you up and strengthening you and encouraging you and loving on you. And moving back to our passage, this is an established faith, but whose faith is being established here? It's Timothy's, right? But how did he get to have an established faith? Look, let's look at verse 5. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. And so we learn here in this passage that his faith, this is Timothy, came to him through his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, teaching him the word of God. From an early age, we're going to read it later, from an early age was investing in him. Speaking to him the, tr the truth found in Jesus. And we see Paul's preaching might have been what eventually was used to bring to actual conversion, but his preaching but behind his preaching were years of godly influence by Timothy's grandmother and mother. And part of the growth guide, part of the passage I want you to read this week, and I read it in our scripture reading in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we also learn that that sincere faith of those women combined with Timothy, instructing Timothy from his earliest days with scriptures, their example results in Timothy's life. It shows us that through faith in God, and by devotion to his word, you can faithfully minister in all context. Through faith in God and by devotion to his word, you can faithfully minister in all context. Because a lot of times we feel unequipped to do the work of ministry. 
I can't remember, it's Ephesians 4 something, where it talks about he gifted some of those to be prophets, to pastors, to teachers, whatever the rest of the list, but it goes on, he says, pastors jobs to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And so he gives this, like, through faith in God and devotion to his word, you can faithfully minister in all contexts. And again, this, this is geared to Mother's Day, but not exclusive to just moms. Because godly ministers are ministers of sincere faith. So if you want to minister to those around you well, you have sincere faith. And we don't know when, when uh, Eunice and Lois came to faith. Even though they had Greek names, at least Eunice was a Jewish believer. In Acts 16, verse 1, you could read this. And, and maybe Lois had been converted in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost and had come to tell, to tell her daughter. But Eunice's story gives, gives mothers who husbands are not believers hope. Because if her son, Timothy, could grow up to follow the Lord as he did, then God can do the same for your children, even if your husbands are not a believer. And while God intends the father to take the lead in spiritual training of the children, moms do so much to influence this idea. They work in tandem together and have great influence. And I want to free everyone up in this room about sincere faith. It doesn't imply perfection. It doesn't but it does imply reality with God. Because such faith lived in these women. It was at home in them, with them. A comfortable, everyday sort of thing. Sincere faith means that you have sincerely believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And it means that you walk in reality with Christ each day, spending time in his word and in prayer. It means that you confront yourself with Scripture and judge your sin on on the thought level. It means that when you do sin against a family member, you ask for the forgiveness and to seek to work your areas. It means that you develop godly character qualities and attitudes, thankfulness and joy to the Lord. And so whoever it may be for all of us, your sincere faith is that whoever is around us, your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your teachers, whoever will be around you, They'll know, yes, you're not perfect, but you walk with God. And at the end of the day, I think back to a sermon Lane preached. Oh, man, it's probably three years now. Um, She did what she could. And all of us are doing what we can. But if you want to love your family well, to have a sincere faith, doesn't imply perfection, but it does imply reality with God. Walk with the Lord. And not only sincere faith, but godly ministers seek to hand off their faith. So godly ministers are sincere faith, but they also seek to hand off their faith. Because hypocritical, insincere faith can be handed off. People see right through that. So if, you, if, if you're fake or two-sided, Whoever you're trying to hand it off to won't want anything to do with that. But what I do know, genuine faith is contagious. Timothy's faith could be traced back to his mother and to his grandmother, and he could see the Lord in them, and that attracted him to the Lord. So that way, when Paul came through on a missionary journey to preach the gospel that Jesus Christ had died and rose again, he stepped out in faith because of why his mom and his grandma had already been teaching him from a, as a babe, from a baby the truth of the gospel 
and life that is found in Jesus. But how do we hand off our faith? If we're, that's where we're heading, this idea of we're trying to minister in all contexts, we're trying to be godly ministers of sincere faith, and we're seeking to hand it off. How do we hand off our faith? Grow in your love, your own love for God's word. And here I want you to turn a page over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And what we're going to see is that um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I read it earlier. But if we're talking about handing off the faith, we think back to the example of Eunice and Lois, who sought to hand it off. I cannot find sec. There it is. And actually, I only have verses 14 through 17, but I want to actually go back to verse 10 real quick. It's not going to be on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, if not, you can listen. Um, Oh, that sounded really aggressive. I didn't mean that to sound that way. (laughs) Listen here, you know. Okay. Verse 10 of chapter 3. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, that's just going to happen, but verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and fully believed, and you know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know those who taught you. He's referring to his mother and his grandmother. And I know in your own lives, there's probably people who, who invested in you, who taught you the truth of Scripture, that you can think back to and look back to and say, this person was pivotal in my walk with the Lord. And if you haven't, seek to find somebody. That's why we we have elders. That's why we have pastors. That's why we have Sunday school teachers. Small group leaders. Because in this body of ministering to one another, we are teaching each other, reminding one another of the truth of the gospel found. And this phrase, you know those who taught you, points to the reality of God's word in these peoples who had influenced Timothy. He can look at their lives and see that the Bible is reliable. And again, I'm going to talk about Mother's Day here for a second. While these, the parents should be primary agents for teaching their children God's word, pray for godly mentors for your children. Such as Paul was to Timothy, pray for godly Sunday school teachers and small group leaders, youth workers, children's workers, elders, pastors, and other men and women of God to influence your children for righteousness. Because often, it's those who get through to your kids. And you guys have the daily grind of investing in your kids, constantly telling what's right and what's wrong, day in and day out. My wife and I, our son is two. He drives us crazy sometimes. And we got a long way to go. 
But I'm, this is what I pray for. I pray that we raise him up to send him out. But I also pray that he, I, other people come into his life and invest in him. And then our baby to be as well. Why? Because I know there's going to come a day when my son won't want to listen to me all the time. But I know, like in my own life, I had people who when I was in high school, when I first came to faith and I started walking into the Lord, I had people come alongside of me to raise me up. And eventually, he was the one who officiated Alex and I's wedding. He's a mentor to me who I call regularly. So pray for godly people to invest in your kids as, as you're investing in them. Because why? It's the body ministering to the body. It's the way God's designed it. And the main way your children will grow up to love and serve God is through his word. God's word of truth is, the power, is powerful to save and to sanctify his people. And the best things you can do for your kids is to instill in them from an early age the importance of reading, studying, memorizing, and obeying God's word. Because you cannot give what you do not have. If your kids seldom see you seeking God through his word, they won't catch it for themselves. But not only do you need to grow in your own love for God's word, you need to apply God's word daily. Because these passages point to this, this truth that salvation is built on the knowledge of the truth revealed in scripture. And children need to know that Jesus wants to be your friend and they need to invite him into his heart, into saving faith, but they also need to know that God's word reveals about their condition of their hearts. They need to know not only that God is loving, but that he is holy and he's just and he's righteous. They need to know what Christ did on the cross, dying as our substitute. They need to understand that God forgives our sin because of his kindness apart from our good works. They need to know what saving faith is as opposed to empty profession that does not result in salvation. Because God's word is mighty to save, but also is sufficient for all of life and godliness. And it is profitable, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may complete, equipped for every good work. God's word reveals the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It reproves us, which means it convinces us of our wrongs. It corrects us by showing how to get right with God and others. It trains us in righteousness, showing us how to keep on the path of obedience. Scripture is not given to satisfy our curiosity to give us interesting stories. It is given to be profitable for how we live, to correct us and to keep us on God's path of holiness. So that way we can show the love of Christ to those around us. And your kids should see you applying scriptures and you should teach them how to apply it to the things that they face God as they grow to maturity. Timothy was strengthened by his mom and his grandmother. His dad wasn't a believer, most likely. But what we get to see is that they were faithful to God's word and God's word does not come back void. And when I left my last church, they gave me this um, Spurgeon Bible um, that I preach from, and uh, it's special to me. And it has this quote about godly mothers in it that I thought was, was cool. Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Certainly I have not the powers of speech with which to set forth my valuation of the choice blessing which the Lord bestowed on me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me.
How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape the wrath to come? How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms around my neck prayed, oh, that my son might live before thee. And so we get to see this morning that God is faithful. And I pray that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you have sincere faith in him, that you have put your trust and faith in him. So I want to remind us this morning, as we're coming to a close, God's word is good. It gives us the foundation for faithful ministry wherever context you're in. And so as I work on staff here as someone who uh, pastoral ministry is what I long to do for the rest of my life, I want to read as my prayer over you, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Will you please stand with me? The worship team is going to make their way up here. And uh, I hope I made it clear today that you can serve in whatever context you're in. There's people in your life that need to be prayed with, that need to be encouraged, that needs to be lifted up, who are hurting. I also realize there's people in your life who uh, life has been great and they, are, they, are, they, they need to be walk with them. But I do realize this. All of us are in different stages of life, different contexts, and there's different influences around you. So my prayer is that you rekindle, the, you rekindle the gift of God that is in you to use your gifts to minister to those, whoever is near you, because it is the body ministering to the body. And that's the way God's designed it. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you that we can come here in your presence just to look at your word. And I pray that we devote our lives as living sacrifices to you. And that we are intentional about ministering to those in this body. And that we are faithful to ministering to those in this body. But we also realize there's many people we can be ministering to outside. So God, my prayer is that we do that. And if we have interacted with the, with you, with the Spirit of God, we don't walk in fear. We're no longer timid. We have power given through you. And this is power to walk according to your ways. And so I, my prayer in this place is uh, we're all in different stages of life. We're all from different, different backgrounds. Is if we failed, we turn our eyes back to you. 
if we're struggling this morning, we turn our eyes back to you. If everything is going great, we keep our eyes on you and maybe even turn our eyes back to you still. Spirit, this morning, I pray that you impact every single person's heart in this room for your glory. That way we can be a living picture of how the body is to minister to one another. Amen.